Let's pray together. Father, we believe that you are a God who is there and who is not silent. We believe that you are a God who speaks through your word by your Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would do that for us this evening. Please would you open our eyes uh, to see him in his glory and to encourage us uh, to serve him in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, to follow on from what the Dundee Christian Unions have been doing this week, I want us to consider the theme of mission this evening. Um, And I want to, uh, by way of introduction, um, highlight this document to you. I was very encouraged by reading this document uh, put together by the Holman Missions Boards of the Free Church of Scotland. Uh, We were given this, we go to the uh, Your Church Plant in St Andrews, and we were given this uh, last week. And they've produced this as a, as a means of trying to raise awareness and support of both home and international missions uh, in the free church. And let me read to you just the, uh, the opening couple of sentences. The church exists first and foremost for mission, to make the message of Jesus known both at home and abroad. Mission is everyone's responsibility. Firstly, by sharing the gospel with those we know, and then by supporting the work of mission wherever it takes place. Now, I wonder what you think of that. There's a couple of quite controversial statements in there. Firstly, to say that the church, its its primary priority is mission. Um, But then secondly, in particular, have a think about this one, that mission is everybody's responsibility. I wonder what you think about that last statement, that we're all to be involved in mission. Now, if you're a student here and you're involved in your CU, hopefully you're, uh, you totally agree with that after the past week and you're, you're completely pumped about getting involved in mission. But I suspect uh, for the rest of us, some of us might be a little terrified. Some maybe feel a little guilty about lack of involvement in mission. And some might simply not be sure where to start. And my prayer this evening is that in 25 minutes or so, Uh, you will be encouraged to be involved in mission. Um, And that you'll not simply feel that you ought to be involved in mission, but that you'll want to be involved, because mission is a wonderful thing. And I can say that because that's what God thinks about it, that mission is a wonderful thing to be involved in. Now, I think that the best way to encourage Christians is to get them to look away from themselves and to look to the character of God and the work of Jesus Christ. And so to motivate you in mission this evening, I want us to look at the Trinity together. The Trinity is a a key theme in John's Gospel. John introduces the Trinity as a loving fellowship that we're invited into. And here in John 20, we get a glimpse of what the Trinity think about mission. And it's a picture so beautiful that it will leave us wanting to get involved ourselves. And in particular, I want us to focus in on verse 21, um, where Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now the context of that verse is um, the first 20 verses of chapter 20, where Jesus has just uh, been risen from the dead, And he has reappeared to Mary Magdalene, and then he appears in verses 19 and 20 to the disciples. 
Now, the disciples that are described in verses 19 and 20 are a scared, inward-looking group. But then they see the risen Lord, and they experience a taste of the resurrected life, in that they, they experience the peace and joy that it brings. And that's the basis from which they do mission. But nonetheless, they're still a scared, inward-looking group. But Jesus appears to them not just for their reassurance, but to instruct them and to prepare them for the mission that lies ahead. And it's to this scared, inward-looking group that he entrusts the evangelization of the world. Because, and that's the way that God always works, isn't it? And now he has entrusted that to us. We have been handed the baton. And now we are to reach the 21st century in the same way that the disciples were called to reach theirs. Now this line in verse 21 is John's equivalent of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And in this verse, he, um, he draws a key parallel in that he wants to send out his disciples in the same way that he has been sent by the Father. And this parallel, I think, highlights the role of each member of the Trinity in mission. And I want to consider each of them in turn. So the role of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit in mission. Now I want to focus in particular uh, on the Son. Um, so my second point will be uh, substantially longer than the first and the third. Um, but they'll be quite brief, I promise you. So firstly, let's consider the Father. And it's, the Father's role in mission is that he initiates mission. We're told in verse 21 that the Father sends the Son. Now, there are at least 13 references, uh, at least 13 that I can see, um, in John's Gospel uh, to the Father being a sender and to the Son being the sent one. So, a couple of examples. John 4.34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 12.44, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And then John 14, 24, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. See, it's the Father who initiates mission by sending Jesus. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because, well, it's the Father's mission. It's, it's his gospel in the first place. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, when Paul begins his masterful defense of the gospel, he says that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. Not the gospel of Paul, but the gospel of God. And that's why he can then say in Romans 1 verse 16 that he is absolutely not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the Father who made up the gospel in the first place and it's the Father who initiates mission. Now I think that, ca that carries both a challenge and a comfort for us. So it's a challenge because, well, if the Father initiates mission then he thinks it's important, doesn't he? And that means that he is a God who is mission-minded. And if we want to be like him, if we want to be godly, then that means that we need to be mission-minded as well. To be mission-minded is to be godly. And so we cannot say on the one hand that we are striving to be godly, but in the same breath, to live and speak like mission isn't important. So that's the challenge, but it's also a comfort that the Father initiates mission. Because 
if the father initiates, if it's the father who initiates mission, then that means that in a sense, I don't need to go out on my own and initiate it myself. But, but it's God who is already at work. And I just need to join in with what he's already doing. So, so that means that when, when I get up on a Monday morning and I'm thinking about the week ahead, then I shouldn't be praying, Lord, I'm going to meet a lot of people this week. Please could you make at least one of them interested so that I can tell them the gospel and then I'll, that's, you know, I'll reach my tally for the week. But rather what we should be praying on a Monday morning when we're thinking about the week ahead is, Lord, I'm going to be meeting a lot of people this week. Please can you show me where are you already at work? Whose hearts are you softening? And where do I fit in with what you're doing? Where can I be a link in the chain that brings someone a step closer to trusting in Jesus? So the Father initiates mission. And that's a challenge to us, but it's also a liberating comfort. So secondly, and this is the thing I want to focus in on, uh, that the Son models mission. So in verse 21, he says, As he has sent me, so I send you. So in the same way that he was sent, he sends us. The Son is our model in mission. But how is Jesus our model? So does that mean that we have to do mission exactly the same as him? Does that mean that we all need to quit our jobs and go and train as carpenters? Um, and does it mean that, that we have to turn water into wine and heal the sick and walk on water as Jesus did? Well, surely, practically speaking, there, have to be, there has to be some limits in the way that Jesus models mission to us because, well, he's the son of God and we're not. So in what way does he model mission to us? Well, I want to highlight four things that the Son models to us about mission. So firstly, I think uh, what the Son models about us, uh, to us about mission is that mission is done through human weakness. So how did the Father send the Son? Well, firstly, very obviously, he, 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 the Father sent the Son to earth to become a human. And, you know, Jesus in his divine power could have chosen to bypass some aspects of the human nature while he was here. But he chose not to. He was fully human as well as fully divine. And in one sense, the limitations of the human body would have restricted the work that he could have done. He got tired. He needed to eat. He couldn't fly. But yet his mission wasn't compromised by that because he finished it perfectly. And his humanity was an integral part of that mission. And in the same way that the Father sent him, he sends us. He doesn't expect us to be superhuman, but to be human in our mission. Now, I think we think differently to that. I think we think that our limitations as humans hinders our evangelism. So we say things like, you know, I, I can't tell somebody the gospel. I'm, I'm too shy. A person to do something like that or I, I can't tell somebody the gospel I'm not a good communicator the words always come out the wrong way or I can't tell somebody the gospel I'm just not intelligent enough to answer all of their difficult questions you know but none of those things need to hinder us because what we what we don't realize is that often it's that very point of human limitation that makes the gospel so endearing to unbelievers 
And in presenting the gospel through those weaknesses, we present the gospel not as finished products ourselves, but as works in progress. And the gospel is so much more appealing that way because it helps people to realize that it is relevant to them. And then it also helps us to realize why God does it that way. He does it so that, he, so that we won't deflect the glory away from him. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So Jesus models to us, firstly, that mission is done through human weakness. Secondly, he models that mission is costly. So let's back to the passage. Note how in verse 20, as he sends them on mission, he bears the marks of crucifixion. And that, the, that crucifixion is the means by which we are saved, but it's also the model by which we serve. One speaker has said this about this, this point. You know, when we are converted, we are, we are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. And that fellowship is not a cozy, inward-looking bubble, but it is a fellowship whose sending is costly. It's a fellowship who doesn't just do that which is easier. Our fellowship with the triune God is marked by costly sending love. So we shouldn't be surprised by being sent on costly sending mission. We should expect mission to be costly because we are promised consistently throughout Scripture that it will be. And, of course, it's a great comfort, isn't it, when it is tough, that our Saviour who sent us had walked the same path before us. So, secondly, he says that he models that mission is uh, costly. Thirdly, Jesus models that mission is relational. The reason Jesus came to earth is because the Father sent him, and he loved the Father. So this was the mission of the Father entrusted to the Son, whose bread and butter was to do the will of the Father. As he says in John 4:34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The Son did this mission because of adoring, passionate relationship. And in the same way, our mission should be motivated by our parallel love for the Son. The love of the Father compelled Jesus to mission. And it should be the love of Jesus that compels us to mission. You know, as, as, um, as staff with UCCF, we often face the question, how do we motivate students in evangelism? Because even students who are often among the most enthusiastic and creative people in the church when it comes to sharing the gospel. Even their enthusiasm can wane sometimes. You know, how do we motivate them in keeping going and holding out the gospel on campus? Well, we could do a number of things. We could train them in all the practical skills so that they, until they are model evangelists. We could beat them over the head with a stick which uh, would be entertaining. But, you know, the best motivation, without question, for evangelism is to point Christians to the irresistible grace of Jesus Christ. When we see and savor the beauty of Jesus, we'll be like the Samaritan woman in John 4 who couldn't help herself 
but who immediately went out to the town and said, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. The love of Jesus is what will compel us in mission. So mission is relational. But the relational aspect of mission also cuts another way. Because the love that Christian brothers and sisters have for one another should, should be intimately connected to, the, to their mission to the world. Turn with me back to the beginning of John's Gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18. So here in this verse, John 1, verse 18, John sets up a problem and then gives a solution. He says, no one has ever seen God. That's the problem. Now here's the solution. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So the invisible God is made known by the person of Jesus Christ. But the invisible God is also made known by another way. So turn with me to the end of the New Testament, to 1 John chapter 4, just before uh, Revelation and Jude. One of John's letters. So look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. So John's, John, writing again, starts the verse with the same phrase. No one has ever seen God. That's the problem. But here's the other solution. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. See, that's why gospel unity and loving community within the church is so important. Because the invisible God can be made known, firstly through uh, the person of Jesus Christ, but secondly through the love that Christians have for one another. Never underestimate the importance of community in mission. You know, evangelism is not a solo pursuit, but it's something that's done in the context of community. The love that is modelled within the church fellowship is noticed, and it breaks even the hardest and most unreachable of people. Before we moved up to St Andrews in, the, in just the last summer there, we, we lived down in Cornwall in the southwest of England. And for a couple of years, Anna and I led a house group in our church. And an older woman called Lynn started coming to our house group. Now, now Lynn was a really interesting woman. She, she'd been searching for years for purpose and for meaning and for answers. And she'd looked in all sorts of places. So before she came to us, she spent quite a bit of time going to a local spiritualist church in an attempt to find some answers. Didn't get anywhere with that. And then one day she walked into our church and she was immediately struck by the strong sense of genuine and real love and concern and grace. And, and she witnessed this as she walked into the, the church community. And she was so impressed by this by the love that the Christian brothers and sisters had for each other. She had to find out more. She knew that whatever was behind this was what she was looking for. So she came to our house group, she started meeting with the minister, and then it was a real joy about a year later uh, to, to have her stand up at the front of the church, confess her faith in Christ, and to get baptized. But it was, it was the love that Christian brothers and sisters had for one another that caused her to begin to witness the invisible God.
The love that is modelled within the church is noticed and it breaks the hardest and most unreachable of people. So mission is relational. It is fueled by the love of Christ, but then it's also demonstrated, that love is then demonstrated by the love within the church. So the son models that mission is done through human weakness. He models that mission is costly, that mission is relational. And then fourthly, he models that mission is about the forgiveness of sins. Now, the forgiveness of sins is always the deepest of human needs. Other human needs are, of course, important to be addressed. But whatever needs people have, whether it be social, medical, or material, or something else, there is always the deeper needs of the forgiveness of sins. Let's have a look at verse, uh, go back to John 20, and in verse uh, 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Here, this verse, verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is a tricky verse because on a first reading, it suggests that we have the authority to judge uh, who is forgiven and who is not. But one commentator puts it like this, which I think is quite helpful. Although this sounds stern and harsh, it is simply the result of the preaching of the gospel which either brings men to repent as they hear of the ready and costly forgiveness of God, or leaves them unresponsive to the offer of forgiveness, which is the gospel, and so they are left in their sins. So in this mission, simply we are to preach the forgiveness of sins and call people to repentance. And to those who repent, we can declare and pronounce that their sins are forgiven. The authority to to declare somebody as forgiven or unforgiven is simply ours, through preaching the gospel. So this is a forgiveness mission that's about the deepest of human needs, reaching their deepest need, offering them the forgiveness of their sins. And that can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is my third and final point. The Father initiates mission, the Son models mission, and thirdly, the Spirit empowers mission. So verse 22 With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, personally, I think this breathing is symbolic, um, that what it symbolizes then actually happened um, at the day of Pentecost, which is described in Acts chapter 2. And I think Acts chapter 2 is a massive turning point. It's incredible if you consider the difference between the disciples of the Gospels, scared, inward-looking, always tripping over their own feet. And then compare that with the mighty disciples in in the Acts of the Apostles, who are powerful and fearless, and most of whom were martyred for preaching the gospel. We often forget that they were the same people. And the turning point was Pentecost, and the change was due to them receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And similarly, I think, we need to recognize our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit in mission. Recently, I have realized that the time of day that I find it hardest to believe the gospel is first thing in the morning. Now, I don't know if, any, if anyone else feels this, but when I wake up in the morning, I have a rush of thoughts into my head that are negative and grumpy and selfish. And if I allow them to fester, it can destroy my day, and it certainly destroys my wife's day. But I've also realized that that selfish grumpiness 
in the morning is not caused by external circumstances, by the, you know, the, the early start to the day or the side of bed that I got up on. But it's caused by something internal. It's caused by my heart. Because my heart is selfish. And it's, it's cancerous. And it's rotten and sinful. And I've also realized that there's absolutely nothing that I can do to change my own heart. But the only way it can change is for God to do it by his Holy Spirit, which he promises to do, and he promises that he is doing. So now, now I've recognized that, I try to start every morning, and before the selfishness rushes in, I pray to God, and I say, God, please, I beg you, I need your Holy Spirit today. Please, would you give me your Holy Spirit to change my heart, because I can't change it, and I need him. And it works. Now, if that's, if that's the case, that if, if, if I need the Holy Spirit just to believe the gospel every day, then how much more do I need the Holy Spirit in order to do mission? You know, I cannot make myself or anybody else believe the gospel. I cannot cause that change to happen. It's only God by his Holy Spirit who can do that. And he will do it because he promises to do it. Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers mission. So that's what the Trinity think of mission. Now, I wonder what you think about that. But don't you just think, you know, what not that just brilliant? Because often I think we think that mission is just something that we do on our own, that we have to kind of drum up within ourselves the enthusiasm to go out there and tell people the gospel. But it's not something that we do on our own. But the, the whole power of the Trinity is involved in it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that something that you just want to get involved in? Isn't that something you just want to take part in? They're already doing it. They just ask us to get stuck in. So the Father initiates mission. It's his gospel. And he sent the Son. To be godly is to be committed to mission. But to be missional means that we don't have to do it ourselves, but we join in the places where he's already at work. The Son models that mission, and he models that it's done through human weakness, that it is costly, that it is relational, and that it is about the forgiveness of sins. Let not our weakness or its cost hinder us, but let it be the love of Christ that compels us. And may the love that we have for each other melt the hearts of even the hardest of men. And let's seek to address that deepest of human needs, the forgiveness of sins. And let us trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to give us boldness, to help us to believe the gospel ourselves, and to open blind eyes to help them behold Jesus. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you that you are the one who made up the gospel in the first place and you are the one who initiates mission. You are the one who sent the Son. Father, we thank you for sending him. We thank you for the work that he did on the cross that saves us and that is the message that we get to share with others. Thank you for his model and may we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit um, as we go out to do it. In Jesus Christ we pray.
Amen.